Welcome to Packet Pushes, the greatest data networking podcast, well, so far, well, one day something better will come along, but until then, Packet Pushes is the greatest data networking podcast in the world. Today, we're talking with Ben Pfaff. What do you do, Ben? Me? I work on Open vSwitch. Uh, I've, I've been developing it uh, for, uh, I guess, 10 years now. Uh, we wow. first talked about it publicly in uh, uh, 2008, and I believe it's 2018 now. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a criminal sentence. Is that, you know, is, that, is that like, do you want to keep developing it? Is it like? Oh, gosh. Uh, I, I don't know. That, that's a risky question. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I could announce my retirement right now if I felt like it. <laughs> so what is Open vSwitch? Let's just get, let's come back to some basics. Uh, a lot of the Packet Pushers audience may or may not have heard of it. So let's do some basic. Open vSwitch is? Sure. Um, it's a piece of software. Um, it takes packets in and then uh, does whatever controller told it to uh, to those packets and then sends them back out. I think of it as a uh, kind of a language or software for programming your network. Right, okay. So OVS is the agent that goes inside the operating system on, say, Linux? Yes. Uh, usually you run it on a hypervisor mm-hmm. and use it with uh, um, you know virtual machines and mm-hmm. packets going to and from them, and right. hence the, the V part of the vSwitch. Uh, but... You can use it in a physical appliance. You can use it wherever you want. All right. Okay, we'll get to that. The most common use, so I could run it Linux bare metal, yep. Linux KVM. Yep. Containers? Uh, yep. Yep. Is that what you, you hesitated? Uh, is uh, that because nobody uses containers yet? Uh, well, <laughs> it, it, it's because uh, you're, you're uh, getting into the part that I uh, understand the least well. Okay. When, when people start talking about Kubernetes, I, I often turn things over to one of my colleagues who right. uh, specializes in that. Okay. So don't, can, grill, don't grill me on the containers part. Okay. And, but this is open, so I don't have to go on, you know, there are many vSwitches in the world today, and uh, some vendors sell them for extraordinary sums. And they come with a religion and a cult following, perhaps, and other vendors, um, and they sort of all compete. But this one's open. I can just go and check it out. I can get executables from wherever. Yep. Uh, you can download the source. Uh, you can download binaries for lots of operating systems. Mm-hmm. And then we need a controller to program it, or could I program it locally? You can program it locally. Mm. Um, and in fact, you don't need a controller if you only want it to do very ordinary stuff, mm. like, say, switching across VLANs. Yep. Uh, but if you want to do anything more exciting, then you should run a controller either locally or uh, remotely across the network. A- open daylight? Open daylight works, yep. Yep. Or any controller that's going to talk southbound to, uh, just supports an open vSwitch. Oh, uh, yeah. In the same way that any SDN controller might support, you know, vendor A, vendor B, vSwitch A, vSwitch B. Absolutely, mm. yeah. So most people will be able, most SDN controllers will be able to talk to you then. Yeah. Mm. So what what is it that people use it for? So I think a virtual switch is pretty straightforward. The word switch sort of gives away its key thing. You can route between VLANs on the host. So if you've got two hypervisors, one's in VLAN A, one's in VLAN B, you can route between them. Sure. Or if they were both on VLAN A, you could switch between them. Sure. What about things more advanced things like P4? We're starting to see packet mangling become an option where you want to be able to you know, dynamically insert packets. Maybe you want to do some MPLS. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think of, of P4 and OpenFlow as being kind of overlapping uh, kinds of mm-hmm. standards. Uh, you can do uh, more low-level stuff with P4. Like, uh, for example, if you want to invent your own new protocol that uh, nobody else has seen before, then you can do that by writing a couple lines of P4. Mm. Uh, OpenFlow is a, a little more uh, sort of regimented. Mm-hmm. Uh, if uh, if you want to do something like that, uh, then you'd have to go to ONF and ask them to uh, invent some field identifiers for you, or you can invent your own extension. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wouldn't be easier, easy for the controller writer to, to do that. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of people say that OpenFlow was too difficult for them or too that the API wasn't accessible or didn't work in hardware so well. Well, so uh, partly that's because I think a lot of people thought OpenFlow was something that an end user would program, and I think that's mm. wrong. I, I think that OpenFlow is more like the assembly language of SDN. Right. It, it's something where um, if, if someone told you they were going to write a program from scratch in assembly language, you'd probably laugh at them. Yeah. You'd ask, why aren't you writing it in C? At least C. In, in C yeah. or Java or Python or JavaScript. Getting further and further abstracted away. Right. Yeah. And those controllers uh, are what should be providing those higher abstractions. Right. So you see P4 as sort of the successor to that. Because P4 can mangle flows just as easily as it can mangle packets. Uh, or frames, yeah. You know? uh, but P4, you can do many of the same things that you can do in OpenFlow. Mm. Um, it, it, like I said, it's lower level and you can use it. Uh, I actually I'm working to get P4 support into Open Vswitch, where mm. it would run at a, lo- a level below uh, OpenFlow, right. uh, so that you could use it to uh, say add protocol support. So to Open Vswitch so was originally based on OpenFlow back in the day, and it's changed since then, or is it still at its heart loose, loosely based on that idea? So uh, Open Vswitch actually was derived from the OpenFlow reference implementation yeah. that. That we started at NICERA in 2007. Mm. Um, Which came out of the Stanford Research Project. You were part of what Martin and Casado did, et cetera? So uh, I, I wasn't part of that research project, but I, I, I came into it at, at NICERA. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it was, I mean, on day one, I was yeah. uh, downloading that and, uh, and looking at it and mm. uh, uh, starting to, to figure out how can we do a production industrial version of this. Okay. So how, industrial, you mean commercial? Commercial, uh, uh, sure. I mean, yeah. it was it was a startup. Um, yeah. So uh, eventually, the goal was to make money uh, for, I guess, for ourselves and for mm. other people. Yeah, uh, we succeeded at that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sold sold Nasira to NSX, and the and the rest is history, as they say. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, have the right voice to say that. <laughs> Neither do I. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so originally, it was sort of like meant to be a productized OpenFlow implementation, but I would think that you've moved on from that, and internally, it's way beyond the flow model. Oh, uh, so if, if you look at what's there, it, it's all based on flows. Yep. Um, we've moved way beyond what the OpenFlow specification uh, says. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in, in fact, the OpenFlow spec seems to have basically died. Mm. Um, the, the working group for it has been disbanded at ONF. Mm. And yep. so uh, basically I see ourselves as the, the current torchbearers for that. Yeah. But you're sort of extending in directions that make sense to you then. Yeah, so um, it would be OpenFlow version four or five or something like that, where you keep changing what fields are needed in the APIs and stuff. But you can do that because you're you're doing it for yourself internally to the code. It's not like you need other people to be compatible with your. Well, uh, we need the controllers to be compatible with it because right. if if they don't speak it, then they can't use those features. Yeah, um, we're uh, we, we we like to think that we're extending it sort of in the original spirit of it. Yeah, but I mean, we made up that spirit, so it's. Uh... <laughs> It's your. It's kind of like your privilege in a sense. You yeah, know, you, I, I remember sitting in an, an ONF meeting at one point and uh, proposing some feature, and and a, a guy standing up and saying that is not in the spirit of SDN. <laughs> he was super serious about it too. Yeah, it, there's nothing like a standards body to bring out the best of everybody. Really, um, let me ask a question about other. They're like there's now a number of virtual switches on the market, mm-hmm. right? So and um, many of them are very good. Yeah. And is there something about OVS that sets you apart? So I don't want to do a competitive analysis per se, but 
you know, if you might be, you know, facing FDIO or mm-hmm. versus OVS, that's the one I can just think of right now. There's probably yeah. dozens of others. Um, why would OVS, why would I consider OVS first? Sure. So uh, the big thing that I think of most virtual switches mm. uh, that have come out in the last few years is focusing on mm. is performance. Yeah. Um, if, if you look at FIDO, FDIO, mm. uh, then uh, a lot of their material talks about how fast it is. And Effective you'll see these graphs yeah. saying that it's you know, N times faster than OVS um, in such and such test. Um, and there are other, uh, other switches that have similar results. Um, and they're, they're, I'm sure they're absolutely right. Yeah. They are faster than OVS at, uh, at those particular benchmarks. Back in 2016 when the benchmark was run. Yeah, <laughs> um, and they, they probably still are. Yeah. Because OVS, we're serious about performance, yeah. but we're, we're actually much more serious about uh, programmability. Okay. Um, and our, our goal is to be as fast as we can mm. with very general purpose features. Um, and my guess is that if you uh, if you took some of the applications uh, that uh, that we've got that yeah. run on top of us and tried to run those uh, those same applications on say Fido, well, first of all, you wouldn't be able to do it directly. Mm. Um, but uh, second, I I think that they would uh, actually run more slowly on on Fido uh, because of our architecture. Um, usually, these other switches are designed to do very simple things very yeah. fast. We're designed to do almost anything. Um, fast. So, well, see, to me, the whole fast argument is pretty moot because any sort of, if you're really that concerned about performance, you should probably be using a fancy NIC. And we, you know what I mean by fancy NIC, which yeah. is these companies who make um, custom NICs with CPUs on them. Sometimes they've got FPGAs, sometimes they've got ARM CPUs with 64 cores, sometimes it's a custom ASIC that, you know, goes really, really fast. There's lots of different brands out there. If you're really, really that concerned about performance, you're probably using a fancy NIC, so you're not loading up your x86 CPU cores. That's that's well, what the cloud companies do. Sure. So um, if, if you're uh, if you want to get that performance out of a fancy NIC, you might find yourself using OVS anyway, mm. uh, because uh, most of these come with some sort of OVS integration. Yeah. Either you run OVS on that NIC if it's a general purpose uh, CPU based NIC, yeah. um, or you run it on your host and you use uh, one of the uh, various acceleration. acceleration APIs. And now that acceleration looks and feels like TCP offload of old, it's just turn it on and OVS says, "Oh, look, hardware acceleration! Boom, away I go." Oh, okay. In the sense that, yeah, you you don't have to configure much. Yeah. Uh, you you might need to make sure that your application is one that's suitable for whatever acceleration your card mm. has, uh, because some of them can accelerate certain things and not mm. others. Uh, yeah. So you you'd need to investigate that before you bought it. Right. So, but fundamentally, all of the accelerated NICs, all of the fancy NICs. No, I shouldn't use the word fancy NICs. It's a good word. The fancy NICs um, or smart NICs. Smart NICs. Smart NICs. Okay. I like fancy NICs. Um, they're all got OVS support to start with, but they may not have for other vSwitches because they haven't been around long enough. And, and why would they develop for th- all these different vSwitches? Uh, presumably because their customers want it. If, mm. you, if you go and talk to uh, somebody at, mm. uh, for example, Netronome, like mm. I've talked to mm. Johan Tansang at Netronome mm. uh, several times, uh, they, they develop uh, accelerations and so on for all kinds of things because yeah. they have some customers who want it, which, which makes sense. Yeah, if you're big enough and ugly enough. But really most of us just want, you know, Server running fast, OVS. I want it to run fast. I drop in a fancy NIC. Now all of a sudden I can do 50 gig, 100 gig, you know, 400 gig without burning out multiple cores in my x86. I think that's true. Mm. So open vSwitch, it's there. 
It runs in the code. It's actually really quite a simple idea, virtual switching. Do you find people asking you why you want a virtual switch? Do people push back and say, why would I want to do switching in the server? Well, um, I, I think uh, in a lot of cases, it's simply because uh, the you know the, the actual physical servers can't do the sorts of things that they want. Mm. Like if you're doing network virtualization, so things like Windows NT, um, sorry, Windows Server, um, doesn't have a routing cap. Well, it has a routing capability, but it's dated from the 2000s. You can't route between two VLANs on Windows very effectively. Well, uh, I, I think that's looking at it at a pretty low level. Mm. Um, I, I mean, if, if you want to do something like NSX does, yep. um, where you might set up a whole network of logical switches and logical routers and yep. firewalls and so on, um, that that's going to be inconvenient at, at best to to set up in your physical infrastructure. You'd be configuring yes. all of these switches uh, whenever. Well, it also gets down to this idea of vMotion. You know, in a VMware environment, you move the VM around. And in a KVM environment, you want to move the KVM around. So, mm-hmm. you know, one minute's on this side of the data center, this next minute's on that side of the data center, still running. Um, how do you suddenly, do you really want to be trunking your VLANs all over your data center, like presenting every VLAN on every port so that wherever it can be? That's, an, uh, yeah, that's the limitation. Yeah, uh, and uh, you're, you're a lot closer to that part of, the, mm. uh, part of the job, and my guess is that your answer is no. You don't yeah. want to do that. No. Well, you have spanning tree problems because if you suddenly got to move a... Move a a VM from server from host 10 to host 110, it might be in another part of the network where the VLAN hasn't been propagated. So then your spanning tree has to reconverge when you extend the VLAN down, and there's always a risk. You know, there's, let's face it, your uh, your physical ven- the physical switch vendors haven't done a lot of good work on spanning tree over the years. So maybe you get somebody to just blows up. You know, and as, when spanning tree blows, the blast radius is often enormous. In other words, the entire data center, which is an unhappy day. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the sort of problem that you think about, and and I don't as a uh, yeah. as a uh, um, sort of a software developer. Yeah. So, as a software developer, what do you think of people like me, like as network engineers? Do you think we're sort of weird and twisted and sort of like not seeing the big the picture that we we you want us to see? Boy, am I supposed to demonize you? <laughs> well, um, not, I, not so much demonize. It's just I I think it's much more that we don't understand other people, and and that's natural. Everybody doesn't understand each other. I, I guess I, I think of the network engineers as uh, the, the the users, mm. but I, I've never been one. Mm. Um, I've set up networks, but you'd laugh at their uh, uh, you know yeah. imaginable, unimaginably tiny scale. Yes. Uh, so you would just have test jigs, and you're really focused on that one. You know the the V switch, the the virtual switching functionality. Well, well, uh, even even lower. Yeah. Um, I I tend to think of Open V switch as almost like a compiler. The controller provides a program for it to run, and it's not really my problem to ask what does that program do. Ah, yeah, it's right. just Correct. to implement it correctly so and I'm to implement it as fast as possible. Server to server, host to host, and you're really focused on that. You know, inside the so, so it's really you're focused on the software architecture to just get the packets between processes in the server itself. Yeah, um, well, and, and onto the NIC, of course. And maybe maybe I could uh, sort of narrow it down mm. to one particular problem that, yeah. that comes up. Um, so uh, it's basically someone else's problem to get the packet in and, and get the packet out. That, that's a driver, that's a library like DPDK, uh, that sort of thing. So my problem is basically uh, when the packet comes in to decide as fast as possible what to do with it and mm. where it should go out. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm that bit in the middle that makes the decision. And you're writing in C. 
I'm, I'm writing in C. Uh, if we were going to rewrite the whole thing today, I wonder whether Go or Rust would be a better choice, but then, C is what we've got. Yeah. And when you started, as you said, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. there was no Go or Rust. Right. <laughs> and there was no uh, Google RPC or Google Protocol buffers, yeah. uh, which would both be great choices for uh, re- replacing uh, OpenFlow. Right. Or oh, OVSDB, is that still- uh, OVSDB, yeah. uh, that's JSON RPC. I feel mm. less bad about that, but mm. Google RPC could uh, replace that as well. Or uh, these days, uh, do we need an OVSDB protocol? I don't know. We, mm. we did at the time that we invented it. Yeah. What about Yang? Would it be possible to do what you need to do in Yang? It seems to like networking is converging around Yang. And then all of a sudden, sometimes I feel like gRPC is diverging away from this Yang idea. I need to learn more about Yang, mm. but my guess is that yes, it would uh, it would be a way to specify, uh, for example, oh, a database schema. The, uh, yeah, yeah. So you need certain amount of configuration in the virtual switch to make it useful. So OVS needs configuration mm-hmm. data today that's OpenFlow like in some way or form. Could easily be if somebody builds a Yang model for OpenFlow, then. For that, then yes. Yeah, I, I feel bad that we invented OpenFlow and OVSDB from that perspective, that there mm. are more general purpose technologies that could substitute for it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did it because of the constraints of the time. Don't feel bad. Somebody invented BGP <laughs> for the same purpose. You know, seemed like a good idea in 1965. You know, uh-huh. and look at where it got us. <laughs> Be proud, own it. You know, everybody wants to tell me how awesome BGP is, but really, 1965, like, huh? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, more like 1975. But the principles behind BGP were actually mooted in 60s. Yeah. So, yay BGP. Yeah, everybody wants to go and tell me it runs the internet, therefore it must be awesome. And I'm going like the internet never converges. It's not awesome. We're just lucky that it even works. It's like peanut butter and rubber bands. Uh, yeah, when technology doesn't work uh, well, yeah. I find myself grateful that it works at all. <laughs> Near enough and, and good enough. How can all of those billions of transistors do something that mostly works? It's okay. amazing. So, what about Open vSwitch as a part of a security strategy? So, obviously, mm-hmm. it switches, it routes. Yeah. Um, obviously the next thing is to do is to make sure that it doesn't work at all and stop switching and stops routing, and we normally call that a firewall in networking. Mm-hmm. The same thing? Uh, yeah, so we have some features that can do basic stateful firewalling. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, those are something that isn't really built into OpenVSwitch. It has the right primitives for it, and it's yep. the controller's job to put those primitives together in a so way. So do they look like access lists, or do they look more like stateful firewalling functions? So we're seeing some v- some of the commercial vSwitches come out with stateful firewall engines in them. Is that you can, where you're headed? You can do it either way. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have stateful firewalling uh, mm-hmm. that, that keeps track of, say, TCP connection state. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, we also have things where you can do do it based on just TCP flags if mm-hmm. you want. Um, now the, the the features that you're going to get are are going to be things like basic apl- application level gateways. You can mm-hmm. enable those. Um, we we don't have a lot of deep packet inspection. Um, there's some real questions around what's the right way to integrate that into mm. something like OpenFlow that, that's mostly stateless. Yeah. And the right answer might be something that's uh, sort of akin to NFV, where yeah. if you want those advanced features, you run them through a VM or you run them through a process that uh, specifically a knows containerized about, yeah. firewall. So Juniper's yeah. got a containerized firewall or Palo's got a VM version, virtual version of its thing. So why not just send the flows into those firewalls and process them using those engines? Why reinvent that wheel? That yeah, right. Uh, we we don't uh, have an ambition to replace every piece of software out there. Um, we uh, just want to get the packets around as best we can. <laughs> Shame, really. I'd like to replace all the firewalls so I didn't have to deal with those vendors. Those firewalls <laughs> are expensive. <laughs> it really is quite painful. 
But I guess the flip side of that, of course, is that most people are using OVS for segmentation. And that's a security feature that you can build out of the pieces that OVS gives you. Oh, quite quite nicely. Yeah, mm. it, it's it's not even very difficult to build something like micro segmentation out of OVS. And that's literally just configuration. Actually, it's not an OVS feature per se. Right. Mm. So one of the things that we were talking about, we touched on SmartNICs earlier, and this idea that a hardware acceleration engine can take the software faster. So what is it that what is there some part of SmartNICs that is interesting to you that that you're particularly working on? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's really a, a cool technology, and there's a couple different flavors of them. There's there's the ones that have uh, very uh, specialized networking hardware on them, like mm-hmm. the Netronome NICs that have uh, hundreds of these tiny little micro engines that mm-hmm. uh, that, that can uh, uh, operate on packets. That means you can flip a flow to each micro engine. Is that? I'm I'm not sure exactly how yeah. it works. I've never programmed it at that low level. Yeah. Um, but uh, they've got you just hand off the OVS stuff to it, and it just goes boom. That's right. Yeah, um, there, there's magic in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the ones that we're uh, really uh, looking at uh, in in th- this year and, and last year are the ones that have general purpose CPUs on them. They're mm. either uh, usually four core or eight core MIPS or ARM. Mm. Yep. And uh, they run like a general purpose uh, Linux operating system yep. and Open vSwitch inside that. Uh, sometimes some of the cores are dedicated to special purpose software for uh, for networking. Yep. Uh, but the the really cool thing about them is that you can run anything uh, that uh, Open vSwitch or Linux could run, uh, and it's uh, just all on the NIC. It's it, not. It's all on the NIC. It's not really actually in the x86 engine at all. Right. And so the operating system is just passing the the uh, the the OVS configuration data and the packet processing flow straight to the NIC, and it's all happening on the NIC. Yeah, um, so that that's exciting in itself. Mm. Um, but what uh, I'm also interested in is something that I, I believe Amazon has been doing for a while, where uh, the NIC is not just doing networking; it's also the root of security for the entire hypervisor. Okay. Um, in, in other words, uh, you don't really have to trust the hypervisor software so much because it's the it's the NIC that uh, controls access to the host, uh, controls uh, everything that the the host can access. So there's actually within. a root of trust in the CPU. Uh, in in the CPU on the NIC, yeah, right? Yeah. So you can use it Sorry. as kind of a substitute for, uh, say, a, a DRAC, that yeah. that sort of thing. Um, mm. You can use it to uh, make sure that, uh, say, say some rogue software breaks out of a VM and, and takes over the hypervisor. You you can keep it from uh, having ac- unfettered access to the network. You can keep it from flashing. So they, the they BIOS. can't go, they can't go left and right. So they can't escape out of that into the as you say to the BIOS or if you've got an Intel. CPU that's running the Minix, and you, you can prevent. You can actually have fundamentally blocks inside of the NIC in the networking that they can't escape down into the physical underlay. Right, um, and so you could use this to set up a, uh, a a private cloud that's more secure than what we can currently do in a private cloud. Uh, you know, Amazon has been able to take advantage of this for a while, and it would mm. be nice to level the playing field for everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> they have a little, a few more resort people focused on these types of issues. Of course, they're largely because they're a target, very big target, painted on their backs. That's where all the fun toys are. Where they, if you could steal them, you could have a load of fun. Of course, but if all the rest of us band together and work together, yeah. uh, we can equal Amazon. That's right. I, I've always been convinced that private cloud makes sense in the long run. So, uh, and and I think that. Um, we're going to see a sort of a, a realization that there's things you can do in the public cloud and there's things you can do in a private cloud if only you had the same features that the public cloud has. And this would be one of them, this isolation security. Because we saw um, there was a company that went, went out of business this week called Skyport Systems and it was bought out by Cisco. 
And they were focused on that idea of actually isolating the network communications and building trust there. But they were doing it via a custom ASIC. I guess it was just a fancy NIC. So it sounds very similar. Right. I I heard about the acquisition, Mm. but I didn't know much about what Skyport did. Yeah, they built these trustable VMs and then prevented sideways uh, privet skinks and then going moving laterally in the network. Well, trust is definitely getting mm. more important. Uh, when I was in grad school, I, mm. I spent some time uh, looking at uh, um, a trusted uh, trusted VMs, trust, trusted operating systems, mm. and uh, there, there was a big uh, um, foo-farrow on uh, sort of privacy-type grounds at, at the time around uh, Microsoft and some of their plans. Mm. That, that all sort of disappeared. Um, but I'm, you know, the thing is that Spectre and Meltdown, which we're facing at the moment, that's in the CPU. There's nothing you can right. do about that in the networking layer. But everything else is, you know, if you can compromise a VM, you can start to move sideways. And there's always a risk that the VM can break out of the hypervisor yeah. and then start to move laterally inside the data center. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, and actually, uh, as the NICs themselves get smarter, um, they that starts to raise the specter of the uh, of those vulnerabilities in yeah. the NICS CPUs, but, yeah. but hopefully... Uh, but if they're only running OVS, then the attack surface is restricted to the OVS code. I think so. Yeah. And then still, there, might, there may or may not be weaknesses in OVS, but that's a much, less, much easier problem to solve than some general purpose operating system running in a NIC. One hopes. Um, mm. And there have been a couple of research groups that have uh, spent some time uh, attacking OVS and mm. succeeding, um, mm. but they've uh, passed along their findings and we've, we've fixed them as, mm. as we go. Um, there's going to be a, a talk about that I think is going to be about that at mm. uh, the ACM SOSR conference in, mm-hmm. in March. Right. So it's not, there's been some security validation of OVS code to date. Well, I'm fixing, finding and fixing problems doesn't mean there's a lot more that, to be found and fixed. Yeah. So there might be others, but you know, but there's been some basic security validation by somebody who's gone hostile on your code. Yes, and it's not, yeah, and before the fact, not after the fact. Yes, is what my point was. I think something like that. So your, I like that idea about smart nicks and that idea about you know creating jails because quite often with that sideways or that lateral movement is the thing that we went move to micro segmentation for. But what we might forget is that you can still move sideways even if you if you're in the one machine, you can get to the machines next to you. And if you can break out of the jail, that's very interesting. Um, what about um, service meshes? So one of the things I think we talked on your show because we recorded mm-hmm. a podcast and published it on your network, so a bit of a plug for your OVS Orbit. Is that what it's called? That's right. Thank you. So it's at OVS Orbit on Twitter. Is that right? Oh, uh, well, it's actually just at Ben underscore file. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should create a Twitter account for it. Probably should. So people can follow that and then you get a thing in your Twitter feed when it comes out. It works better. You do both, of course. But, I'll, you know, I'll try that. Um, so OVS works with, you, we were having a, a bit of a, a bang on about a while ago on your show about service meshes, about right. how people like in Kubernetes are saying, well, I need a container, I put a container, but now I can't tell where the network traffic's getting to my container or not. So what they're now deploying is a proxy in front of that. They call them service proxies. Um, the, the, the thing that they put next to it is another container and all the packets flow into that container and then into the instance. So if you're running a web server, you have a web server instance, a container running Apache, and then right next to it is a service proxy that can get your visibility into the traffic. And I just want to bang my head on the desk because it's like, if you want network visibility, why aren't you talking to the NIC? Is that, am I wrong? Oh, I have all kinds of thoughts around all this. Yeah. So uh, the, the first thing is that when, when you've got something like Kubernetes, most of the people who use these things mm. don't care that much about networking. They, no they, they really just want IP connectivity. Mm. So uh, 
They right. did NAT when they first started. They they do do NAT, and yeah. but uh, from they they do that to really avoid interacting with the network, as yes. far as I can tell. It, it's so they can get these these private addresses that, that don't really have to care much about the you know the, the public uh, mm. internet. And completely forgot about security between containers. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're, they're, uh, Kubernetes is not a multi-tenant environment, so mm. it, it's. Uh, um, I, I think they worry about that a little bit less. Mm. So uh, first of all, maybe um, tomorrow when uh, <laughs> right. So so first of all, uh, you've got this uh, this system where a lot of the power of OVS doesn't really matter because all you're doing is is getting uh, mm. getting packets in and out, and that's that's not where the power of OVS is. Yeah. Um, and then uh, second, uh, when you're doing things at such a high level, um, where you know you're going through proxies, you're you're doing everything at L7. So you're actually bringing the packet off the wire through the NIC. Up through the protocol stack, up through the VM stack, because containers usually run inside a VM, into a container, and you're doing all your munging inside of this code inside, you know, and then it got to go all the way back down the stack to go back up the stack to wherever the... And the containers are not normally juxtaposed on the, or not necessarily on the same physical host. So you may actually be crossing the network between the service proxy and the actual end container. Yeah, it makes the person who worries about performance in me just wince. Um, but uh, at any rate... Well, the, the point in me is it's like the only tool, if my only tool's a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. I need network visibility. I'll use another container. I mean, like, just, you know, you want to do the biffer and bang them on the head and go, come on! You know, it's like... <laughs> So I, I feel like I, I don't know enough about it yeah. because if that's really what it is, it doesn't seem well motivated to me. Um, that's pretty much all it is. So really the service meshes that they're talking about is they've not got visibility about where the requests are being routed and whether they're being routed performantly. So they literally put a proxy in line because they need to see into the packets and the flows to know what's going on. And then because you've got this thing in line, now you've actually got a source of truth that you can fetch log data from. So now I can track all the inbound customers. So I don't want to do it in my Apache process. Right? And I'm just sitting there looking at it and going like, hello, the NIC, the virtual switch, why don't you talk to the network, you know, the network interface and pull the data straight from that? So we, we can certainly do that in OVS, mm. uh, either you know, on a flow-based way, or we, we support IP fix, we support S-flow, mm. uh, we, we have uh, different ways of, of pulling statistics. You know, uh, I... I haven't heard this perspective that that's all that's happening, yep. but if it is, then there well, are much cheaper ways to do it. I'll try and remember to put some, but if you're listening, there are, there, there's three proxies in this space. One's called Linkerd, another one's called Envoy, A-E-N-V-O-Y, and another one's called Trafic, T-R-I-A-E-F-I-K. And there's a bunch of others because, you know, no good deed goes unpunished in open source, and a, and a really easy, simple, dumb idea can be copied by everybody. So everybody's bailing on. So, so uh, the the question in my mind is: Should OVS uh, try to supplant some mm. of this, uh, some of this, and do it faster? Uh, should we just say that you know this is happening at a higher level than us? We mm. shouldn't worry about it. Uh, should uh, you know Justin and I go off and found a new exciting project that uh, that, that does service mesh <laughs> stuff? Uh, oh, it, you should totally do a startup. Like get some funding and totally do a startup. No, I, I think the I, challenge here I, I is going more to be like the a... multi-tenancy part. So how do you get the visibility and tap it out in a multi-tenant environment in a secure? You know, like how does the cloud provider say? How do you, as a customer, say, give me this data stream and send it to this? Of this network data stream, and so how does OVS suddenly honor those requests in a way that works? So OVS isn't itself multi-tenant. Mm. Um, that, that's sort of, we kind of think of that as the the job of the controller. Yeah. That the controller should take things and, and divide it up uh, mm. among uh, among the tenants. 
Um, but that that typically works pretty well. Mm. But it's up to AWS to expose that feature or use OVS or you know whatever. I'm, I'm sure they don't use OVS, but uh, um. <laughs> they've probably reinvented that wheel. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. It does. It does bother me a little bit that these people sort of you know. I've got a container and I need to solve this networking problem. I know, I'll use another container instead of looking at it as a networking problem. But maybe it's just a, a cloud thing where... Well, it's very elegant from a certain yeah. point of view that uh, to, to solve a problem that you have with X, use another X. Yeah. It's also expensive because now all your network traffic is passing through a container that you have to pay for and you've got a significant CPU burn, but you're also introducing latency to my mind. Well, I don't have to introduce latency. You know, in a private cloud network, I would just take a network tap and take a copy of all that code and feed it into a log engine and boom, I've got everything that I need. So there, there's one way that uh, OVS uh, already sort of contributes to solving one problem mm. in this container space. If you look at Kubernetes, uh, usually it, it does uh, its, its load balancing using mm. some fairly inefficient software that I, I think does roughly uh, something like a proxy. Mm. Um, but yes, if it's just you, a stripped down version of Nginx, I believe. But if you use uh, our uh, our integration for OVN into Kubernetes, then it just goes through OVS right in the kernel. It never never hits a user space process, and it should be uh, much faster than than anything that, that does does hit user space. I just want to go like you know, please, why don't you just you know check around and see if there's a better answer? You know, it doesn't seem to me that I'll, I need to do more reading before I'm certain, and, and I'll blog about it. But you know, maybe that's where we are. Well, I, I, in their defense, I think one of the reasons they want to do it that way mm. is that you don't need to install any extra software. Yeah. Um, you, you don't need to make sure you have a compatible kernel module. Uh, mm. You don't need to set up OVS. Yes. Um, so it's very much a batteries-included approach. Yeah. It's kind of like it's stu- dumb, but it works, so it's not dumb. Right. Actually, but it's still dumb. It's so, plug and play. Plug and play. Dumb and play, I would have thought. Well, I think, Ben, that we've had a pretty interesting discussion here around OVS, and uh, I thank you for making the time. I really appreciate it. And uh, there's a reverse version of this podcast over on his show on OVS Orbit where he asks me pointless questions because I'm pointless. Give him lots of pointless answers because I'm nowhere near as smart as Ben is. As always, you can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts. And Ben, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Sure. So uh, you can find OVS Orbit at ovsorbit.org. Uh, uh, .org. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ben underscore Faff, that's P-F-A-F-F, and you can email me through that old school stuff called email at blp at ovn.org. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Greg Farrow, and of course you can check out more fine technical podcasts at packetpushers.net. You can sign up for our mem- free membership system. We've got uh, newsletters that you can join, um, although they're very odd. We talk a lot about human infrastructure rather than technology infrastructure because there's more to life than just technology. Who knew? Uh, and as always, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>